This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Twelve thirty eight CE. In the Mongol controlled region of what was formerly the Vladimir Oblast of the Kievan Rus, a land controlled by grand princes, long before the creation of modern Russia. Batu Khan, grandson of Genghis Khan, whose Tartar warriors had first conquered lands so cold and densely forested that no army had done so before, freezing men to death each winter beneath the falling Siberian snow. Batu Khan was in control of the Golden Horde. As the Mongols gained more territory, Grand Prince Georgi II of Vladimir commanded the construction of two cities, one large and one small somewhere near the Volga River, in the Novgorod province, a place deep in the forest that could hide its people from the encroaching Mongol forces. The first, Malay Katesh, the smaller of the two, was constructed, but the Khan caught wind of the stories that had been trickling through the empire, and he sent troops to destroy those who were evading him, hoarding a legendary wealth, as the rumors told. The first settlement was discovered and quickly fell, putting up little fight against the troops of the Golden Horde. But the larger Katesh still stood, hiding deep in the forest, out of sight, invisible to the Khan's forces. They tortured those still alive from the smaller Katesh, and eventually found the path they needed. After traveling slightly northwest, the troops finally approached the city near Lake Svetloyar, surprised to see no defenses, no archers awaiting their arrival, no battle cry. As they slowly entered the gate, the Khan's troops were stunned to see the people of Katesh not preparing to fight, but kneeled, feverishly praying for their salvation. Given the order to attack, the Mongols charged, only to be forced back by bursting springs of water erupting from the ground beneath the city, knocking them back to the trees. They watched, stunned, as the city of Kitesh slowly disappeared beneath the waters of the lake. The last sight, the bell tower of a golden cathedral. Join us on Into the Portal for a look into a legendary place. A mythical sanctuary left to be discovered. The city of Katesh. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back, everybody. Yeah, we have a whole new episode for you guys. We are heading to Russia. Back to a f- relatively familiar place for us, I guess. I guess so. We seem to be drawn to the desert and to Siberia slash Russia. 
myths and stuff. Yeah. Which could be maybe classified as a different type of desert in some areas. Indeed it could. Absolutely. Very dry. Yeah. Very barren. It's just a fascinating (laughs) place. You know, there's so much that, there's so many different oblasts. That's a word we learned that we'll get into in this episode. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's a really cool place with tons of history. Mysterious history. Yeah. Because it's not... Obviously, we don't, we're not taught Russian history in, no. in school. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's all new to us, yeah. which is really fun. Absolutely. <laughs> so today we are getting into something that we kind of just stumbled across, um, and I definitely never heard of it before until we started to research the legendary city of Kitesh. Mm-hmm. Otherwise known as the invisible city. Yeah. <laughs> and we are going to pronounce it Kitesh. If anybody out there listening has a different pronunciation if you're Russian or something, mm. let us know. We are using that pronunciation because we heard the director Werner Herzog pronounce it that way because he did a film uh, about this mythical place. You know, and we'll we talk about that too. We should have um, Google, is it Google Translate where they offer, you can like hear the word out loud. You can hit the I think you can. speaker. We should do that. <laughs> do you want to just for fun? I don't know. Here, I'll get into, I'll get into this and you can pull it up for everybody. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> so we're talking about this legendary city and we'll give a little bit of the background first, but there's so much history to it that we're going to get into that as we go along mm-hmm. just to kind of like build the context for how this all happened. But basically we're talking about we're talking about one large city known as the Grand Katesh or Big Katesh, but there was also a smaller city that was built. And what we wanted to get into was like who built it and why, and the reason why it is supposedly the invisible city. So it's kind of interesting. We uh, we started looking into Mongol history for this one, right? Because mm, yeah. before Russia was Russia, it was the Kievan Rus. Mm-hmm. And that's something we will, you know, we'll talk about as we go along more and more. But it was basically just a series of princedoms and kind of like segregated states and stuff like that. There was no centralized government or anything like that. It was just a bunch of princedoms. They traded with each other, mm. and it was a pretty powerful empire. It, you know, well, you, I don't know if you'd call it an empire because it wasn't centralized, but it was a established region with mm-hmm. princes that collected taxes you know and stuff. what that kind of reminds me of is the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, that is now yeah. obviously Germany. Right. But again, made up of so many different fiefdoms, princedoms, all these different things um, residing close, but not centralized. Yeah. So yeah, that is interesting. So there was, de- so and, and obviously what comes out of that is like, it was relative, relatively peaceful, but lots of infighting, lots of stuff like that. Lots of people trying to expand their borders at the expense yeah, of others around exactly, them. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh-huh. The, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get more into the Rus in a sec. But what was really cool is, like, we were looking into this, and of course, Genghis Khan's name comes up. Of course. And, which yeah. is just really cool. You can't and even talk though, about the Mongols, though, talking about Genghis there. No, you can't. The Mongols are intense, man. They were an intense civilization. But it is interesting, though, because... They're intense, but they're also highly civilized. And Mm. honestly, when you think of things like Mongols, you think of things like Genghis Khan and things like the Golden Horde. Yeah. Horde, that sounds like a bunch of orcs coming for you. It sounds like a very. Exactly. It sounds very, not primitive, but just very like warrior culture, very harsh, very bloody, very, you know, just like gritty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Like, you know, not a. 
not a long lifespan on average. Yeah. You know, you think, but but, yeah. but you came across in the research you were telling me earlier that a lot of the times um, the wars would result in um, complex um, trade agreements and uh, yeah. taxation and that type of thing. So it was very highly civilized. Yeah, no, it really was. It, it definitely had elements of like what you just described. Like it was... It was a brutal time to be alive, obviously, but yeah, the, the Mongol Empire... Violence, disease. Ac- yeah, exactly. Mm. But the Mongol Empire actually, you know, gave rise to modern Russia in, in a lot of ways. And uh, it all started with the protectorate called the Golden Horde. And that was like confused me like crazy because like you just said, Golden Horde, it sounds like straight out of Lord of the Rings. Sounds like an army. Yeah, like you're going to have some crazy horde of soldiers come <laughs> over a hill and just be like the <laughs> scariest thing you've towards, ever yeah. seen in your entire life. <laughs> Yeah. But no, it actually, what it meant was it was just a, a protectorate state, mm. basically. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, controlled by the grandson of Genghis Khan. <laughs> so Batu Khan uh, was his name. And he was, he was definitely feared, but he, um, like we just said, like, yeah, it was actually like a relatively peaceful, peaceful thing. The Mongols did obviously invade. And I believe this was after the Tartar invasion. We didn't actually look into that. <laughs> well this story this story is specific to the mongols and that's why we looked into them exactly so but basically how it went down is yeah they i mean yeah we're not going into crazy detail but they invade the kievan rus they take over a bunch of the areas in the south they take control of these princedoms and stuff but they don't kick the princes out and that was their claim to fame that's how they were able to basically have such a strong empire. Mm. They said, you can stay in your spot. And this happened throughout history with other other people too and yeah. stuff. But like, you know, you can stay where you are, you can keep your rule, but you're going to tax your people and you're going to give us that tax. Mm-hmm. And of course, this benefited the princes because they were skimming it off the top. Of and course. everybody wins, of right? Of course. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, the the regular people, like the, the sort of the peasant folk, they definitely saw the Mongols as like a scourge. They They saw them as a... Mm, you know no good no that they were basically showing up ruining their way of life and the princes were okay with it but that just meant that they got richer and the lower class you know kept getting shoved (laughs) to the fringes well exactly that just breeds corruption in a certain sense right because if you think about it those princes and all those types of things like they wouldn't be necessarily the face of the evil and so in a sense they can just kind of hide behind and blame the mongols for everything and then just sit pretty on their throne and collect whatever share they're able to collect and it's great they just keep going (laughs) so ruling class prevails and it became very entrenched obviously this happened up until well not not the mongols but just this sort of pattern right this sort of type of society uh, up until yeah the russian revolution there's The, the proletariat getting crushed by the ruling class. <laughs> oh, yes. Yep. Marxists. Anyways, I don't know. <laughs> that's, just, that's a little tidbit. That's a different our... episode. That's another history yeah. episode. Um, yeah, so the Mongols, they... But yeah, like we like we said, they more or less were the reason for the establishment of, like, Moscow. Uh, what what the, Moscow was then. It hmm. was moved later. But... Yeah, it basically, it pushed people, it pushed a migration. So people were starting to move from the places they were in Kiev because the Mongols had captured Kiev. Mm-hmm. And this isn't modern Kiev that we're talking about here. This is, we, we'll have a map posted for people to look at because it does get kind of confusing. But you can think of this in terms of like the Black Sea mm-hmm. was the farthest western point of the Mongol Empire. And then all the way out east through Siberia, China, modern day Mongolia, 
Massive. So how does this all tie into the invisible city there, Andrew? Indeed. Hmm. I'm getting to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, how it all shook down. The Mongols were choosing their these grand princes. And one of these grand princes was this guy named Prince Georgi II. Okay. He was in control of a province called Vladimir. Mm. And it was a smaller but very successful province. There's lots of trade. And they were doing quite well, and he was a quite well-liked guy, supposedly. <laughs> so he wasn't the bad Vlad. He wasn't the... No. Not, <laughs> not the impaler. No. Not, not that guy. So Prince Georgie II of Vladimir, he founded basically what would end up being two cities. One small, one large, like we said. It mm-hmm. started with the small city of Malay Katesh, which okay. translates to small Katesh. Okay. And... The reason actually, the, the reason why these were built is kind of unclear. It's mainly people think it's because it was just a beautiful place to have a settlement. To be. To be. Mm-hmm. Um, near this lake, Svetloyar, mm. which is where this legendary city supposedly hides. Mm-hmm. The first one wasn't by Svetloyar, though. It was right. it was by a river, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. And then the story I heard was that this um, Prince Georgie, so anyways the, the story i heard was that um georgie he ended up establishing establishing small katish and then uh i think it was about maybe three years later um he ended up going on a bit of a journey and the, okay. it was sort of like a kind of like a mythical journey sort of he like he crossed these rivers that were supposedly had some sort of spiritual um significance to him and then that's when he ended up i think he ended up following one of these rivers or following it through the woods and then that's where he came across okay that makes sense because eventually because there is no river actually connecting or outflowing or inflowing into svetloyar lake right it is a completely isolated lake entirely circular it is it it, it looks perfectly, it's very strange looking. It, it's very it, it looks unnatural it looks like yeah. it's man-made a little bit mm-hmm. yeah it does kind of look is, like it was dug which is interesting and we'll get into that with our theories later on in the episode because i have a little tidbit about that but mm. coming at you later <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so these um this georgie he established these two cities sister cities you had big katesh small katesh was the first one yeah and then you get the arrival of these darn Mongols. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at this point, the Mongols had been there for a bit, just not in this region. So and they're they, kind of in hot pursuit of them, yeah. like, so to speak. Not so to speak. really. They're not, like, after them. Or no. Whatever, but. Basically how, yeah, like, they're not outright after them until they kind of catch wind of it. Because the Mongols were running their empire, it was going pretty smooth, collecting their taxes from their princes, princedoms and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they kind of... The story goes that Batu Khan heard of this big Katesh, heard of this city. And he basically had to see it, had to, wanted to conquer it. He was like, Hmm. there's got to be something special about this. So he decided to invade and ransack both cities. That's the classic case. Just like, oh, the grass is greener over there. Let's go over there. (laughs) And that's like, the whole freaking country's the same, man. Come on. Like, there's lots of space for all of us. Well, and that's actually one of the reasons why the Mongols were able to conquer such massive territories is because the majority of those territories are uninhabited. And that's a good point. Because, like, in that video you're watching, there was that fun fact that you pulled out of there. That was just, like, it was incredible. Like, the rate of... uh, the invading Mongols. Yeah, like the Mongols conquered, they conquered technically more land in 24, 25 years than the Romans did in 400 years. 
So that's a lot. That's but again, a lot. if you're thinking uninhabited spaces, vast tracts that are like it's this, still then... really impressive though, because like for example, the Mongols are the only the only peoples to ever conquer Russia in winter. And you have to think about too, yeah, all, yeah, exactly that. And all of the struggles, Russia is literally the hardest country to invade. Yeah. Like we've seen it over Failures and over again. Failures over, Napoleon, right? Hitler couldn't, struggled, right? All like these they, guys, with modern technology yeah. at their disposal, these dudes just had swords and horses, man. Like, come on, <laughs> like, they killed it. Yeah. So. Which I'm just going to give a round of applause Round of applause for. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Mike picked up. There you up. go, Batu Khan. <laughs> So, so Batu Khan and his, his horde, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's a horde now because I mean, golden the golden horde. horde now it's actually is an army. Yep. So he catches wind of this. They, they find the first small city very easily because it is along the Volga river that, that oh, you mentioned. Oh yes, the Volga. And just to reiterate again, this is 13th century. Mm-hmm. Like we said that at the beginning, but 13th century, the exact dates are, aren't clear. So they find this first small Katesh and People weren't giving them information on where this, where the bigger one was because, mm-hmm. like you said, it was kind of hidden away. Mm. Um, Prince Georgie found it by following the Volga and then some strange pathways in the woods. And the, the forest nearby is so dense that it was possible to hide something relatively close by that wasn't visible. One thing I didn't come across when I was looking into this was the actual reported size of the city. Like, I guess it's so vague, right? The account, it's, it's yeah. more just folklore at this yeah. point. But that would be interesting. I wonder how many well, inhabitants. Would I know, have right? Lived like there? from the. I mean, it, that's just it. Like we see like sketches and stuff, but it's all like it's it's paintings. And yeah, like, they're you all know, just imaginations. It's artist renditions. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to think that the size of the lake itself. It's quite a small lake, and we'll give more details on it when we get into theories. But you'd have to think it's a relatively small city. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's probably like more. I'm picturing it more like a thousand this, people, maybe this, like really cool like city in the woods is more of like a sanctuary and like a uh just an austere place of being like right. you know it's very cloaked in mystery yeah. and just like this i don't know this well, and, aura, that's, right? and that's kind of sort of what it was right like, yeah because obviously at this point in time the the group like prince georgie and the peoples of his his region in Vladimir, they were obviously very, very, very ultra-Orthodox mm. Russian Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And they... That's a huge element That's a huge element of the story. Yeah. And, you know, they were quite possibly the very earliest um, kind of offshoot of what would later become a group called the Old Believers, which were just a branch of the Russian Orthodox Church that played mm. into this story. But... Yeah, it's like there's this theory that they left because they wanted peace. And so they, they established kind of ex- this... Yeah, they were experiencing some type of... Um, potentially religious persecution, yeah. changes in the church. That definitely is what happened to the old believers. And so there's this sort of idea that that's like the a, connection between yeah. them, right? Like they were both Russian Orthodox, religiously oppressed, about 400 years apart. It's a parallel, it's for very, sure. Yeah. yeah. So... That's an idea. Like, the city was established as a sanctuary, and that's one of the reasons why it was undefended. So, Ooh. Batu Khan... And actually, oh, sorry, sorry just ahead. on that note, too, and how you mentioned this, the woods being so dense, perhaps that was their fortifications. And perhaps, I'm not sure if this name stuck before the legend, so, so to speak, or, like, the invasion, but perhaps it was called the Invisible City because it was cloaked by the woods. Actually, that's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, and it, 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 no, and that would make sense for defense, right? Like even 
that's like guerrilla warfare nowadays. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like put yourself in a position where even if you have this massive army that's attacking you, well, it's not going to matter that much because they have swords and arrows and they have to break up into individuals in the dense woods. It's mm-hmm. almost like a 300 kind of thing, except they had the funnel oh, yeah. into the thing, right? Where like they could the have rock, a yeah. smaller group fight a larger group. But these people didn't fight. So no. just let me get to that. So That's the best part. Yeah. The whole story. So Batu Khan... He is not getting the information he wants, and so he takes prisoners and tortures them mm. at the Malay Katesh, the small Katesh. That sounds like something his uh, grandfather would do. Very much so. <laughs> forces um, forces one to lead him at least to the entranceway of the path, so it, that he finds out at least where the direction is from the Volga River. Mm-hmm. He takes his troops, they find this path, they follow it, and they eventually come to the gates of this city but it's totally unprotected they can waltz right in there's no archers there's no guards there's no people with weapons there's no there's no men standing out front ready to confront them even verbally Mm -hmm. there's nothing all they see is why don't you continue from here all they found were the all of the citizens in fervent prayer uh yeah just feverishly exactly huddled all together um in unity uh, basically ignoring the Mongols and not even acknowledging them and just, yeah, feverishly praying to their gods. Yeah. And, this, gods, caught, and this, this caught them off guard. This caught the Mongols off guard. They were like, what? Like, <laughs> that is actually, that's almost like a good way to throw someone off, hey? And then, like, as they're trying to, like, you know, reevaluate, be like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, like, what did we just walk in on here? Right? Yeah, like, oh my goodness. Like, we'll attack honestly, later, sorry. Yeah, right? <laughs> I would almost feel bad and be like, oh, like, you guys don't even, you don't even have, like, a knife or anything or, like, a, yeah. a bow, maybe? Like, come on, let's make this a fair fight, but I don't know. I think the feeling was obviously that they weren't paying tax, probably, right? Like, so they, they were, were thinking, like... like they're, they're just loose. Yeah. There's a burden. Yeah, they're, they're like, oh, you're, you're off hiding in the woods and we, we control this country we, or whatever, this region, yeah. and you're not paying tax, so we're going to come take your stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Sounds about right. didn't really work out that way in no. the story. And so, so what happened? Okay, upon the battle charge of the Mongols, they were greeted by sudden springs of water that burst from the ground causing rivers to swallow the city until nothing but gentle waves covered its, its existence. Ugh, sorry, I stumbled over that. <laughs> but that's really cool to think yeah. that, like, they were thrown back by the force of the water and had to retreat to the woods or risk drown. Right. Um, drowning. God, I can't talk right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, but, yeah, no, so they, they just watched as the city descended into the waters. Just slowly submerged itself Almost into like, the Almost like, I'm picturing Titanic sinking, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, where it's just like... Right. And the last thing that was seen was the dome of the cathedral with its central cross on top as it slowly submerged deeper and deeper. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love Very it cool. <laughs> but now, yeah, so what, now... What, what happened right after this is kind of unclear. The story, story sort of stopped. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the Mongols, like... In the legend, the Mongols must have been pretty terrified if this yeah. happened, right? I mean, you're blasted back by water that came out of nowhere. These people are praying and then they disappear. The city's mm-hmm. gone. Probably not going to pursue them underwater and hold your breath and see what's going on. I'm trying to picture what they would have been looking at. Like, would they have just, like, I'm, I'm picturing the citizens having, like, mermaid-like abilities all of a sudden. Like, were they just, like, Aquaman? Like, they could just, like, do... <laughs> do that well that's a question <laughs> you know? that for the theories section because yeah. that's a question of whether or not it's 
underwater or it's in another dimension or whatever. Or if a natural disaster happened and, and the whole myth is just something that's sprung as well. up as so. a result of, yeah, all this, um, um, all this like vehement subscription to the Russian Orthodox church right. and all this stuff. So, and, and the, the fact that the lake still exists and it is thought of as a very, a site of religious importance. Yeah. To and, say the very least. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would actually very much like to go there. Me too. Not that I'm religious, but. No, just to see, just to feel it. You know what I mean? Like to, get the, yeah. the, the aura of the place. And yeah. Just like to, if there is some sort of an energy there. Yeah. That, that can be like noticeable, you know what I mean? Yeah, be because there's cool. definitely been some strange things cited, and this is in modern times, so yeah. it continues. Well, they say that to this very day that those who are pious enough can hear singing from underneath the water. Mm. They can hear the bell toll mm. from the, the cathedral. from the cathedral, and quite often people report seeing lights. Under, um, under the water. Oh, um, some say that the lights look as if they're candle lights for like religious ceremonies, like a procession of people with their lit candles. Sometimes it's more of like the, or, like just lit, like just a bright light, mm. um, which, Ooh, which what, does, what does that remind you of? <laughs> Lake Isakol slash Baikal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All those USOs, un- unidentified submerged objects. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because fishermen were, have been seeing uh, underwater lights on Baikal and uh, yeah, mm. in Isakul for, for decades and decades. I think the coolest part was not so much the lights, but the claims that people have seen like soldiers underneath the surface. Ah, and that yeah. there's been these sort of angelic beings seen in the vicinity of the lake, either yeah. around the shores or over the water itself. And uh, we had some first-hand testimony in that documentary from Warner Herzog. Do you want to talk about that now? Oh, no, we can save it. Okay. But it was very, very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it was very strange. So yeah, I mean, yeah, the lights, yeah, definitely reminds me of, yeah, it makes me kind of think of uh, adding another thing to the theory section that there's potentially like USO elements to this. Although the lake itself is not very deep. We'll we'll give the stats on it in a minute. But yeah, yeah, it's not like Lake Baikal. It's not like Lake Okanagan, which we've talked about in the Okopogo episode. So it's not, you know, it couldn't uh, keep the Empire State Building in it, basically like uh, some of these other large lakes and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anyway, but where does this story actually come from? Like we've explained it, but it's like, where do people actually first hear about it? That was Mm. one of my main questions. Is it just oral tradition? And that's just it. It's really... It's really strange. It's really fascinating because the residents of the region today, which is Nizhi Novgorod, that's Whoa. my best attempt. <laughs> they report, yeah, oral tradition basically states that the legend has been around since the earliest days of the Rus. Huh. Um, so Nizhni, Nizhni, sorry. <laughs> go, go for it. Try. Nizhni. Novgorod. That's good. That's Nizhny Novgorod. I've got some Ukrainian blood in me. There you go. Oh, no. there you go. <laughs> and we did this a borscht was... tonight, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. We never mentioned it. It was so serendipitous. We had Amber's mom made borscht and we were doing this episode and she yeah. had no idea. Yeah. It was just this very. This is my Baba's recipe, so. Yeah, there you go. Good old Baba. It's special. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these residents have basically said that it's been passed down through their family- families for literally centuries mm-hmm. that this has been a real place. And. People centuries have been making and centuries. centuries, like since since the 13th century, since this story, right? And even before so people that. People have continuously talked about this. Yeah. But at the same time, it never actually showed up in any written document 
until the until 1688 supposedly hmm. that's there's some debate about the about the dates and then there's another one where it's the Kitsa Chronicle which was basically like an old believers text that Kitesh was Chronicle? sorry Kitsa we've been Kitesh. calling it we've been calling it Kitsa for months yeah and now when we watched this Warner Herzog thing he said Kitesh so yeah. we're like oh I think Kitesh probably ooh, sounds we were we were saying it wrong <laughs> the whole time oh Okay. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, the Kitesh Chronicle. Yeah, so this publication was actually, I think, 1780, um, but the actual Old Believers broke off from the church in 1688. Okay. So the actual text itself may have been written earlier and just surfaced later on. Mm. It's kind of Debatable. up in the air. Yeah. But 1688 was when the Old Believers broke off from the, from the church, and it was because of reforms. So they were basically changing, yeah, like... Um, religious, some of the ceremonies, some of the practices, mm. things were, certain things weren't allowed. Um, I didn't actually pull up details and this was just in the one blog article that I looked at. It was basically just saying that, yeah, they were just making some changes and they were so orthodox that they just outright refused these changes and broke off into their own group that still exists today. That travels has been basically traveling the world, trying to find a place to be. Yeah. And there's settlements of, uh, Russian Orthodox old believers all over in Alaska in Canada, That's in northern Canada, and still in Siberia and Russian other places. Orthodox. That does remind me a lot of, like, you know, the religious turmoil happening in the medieval times in Europe, too, right? Like, you had the Protestant Reformation, that was, like, 16th century Europe, roughly, <laughs> kind of ranged, but... Yeah, no, like, that definitely... Uh, religion played a huge part in society, hey? And, like, it, it's so interesting in today's times when religion really doesn't play that big of a part in the political realm, so to speak. Like, obviously, yeah. it does more so in different parts of the world, but not so much. We're more of a secular society now. But that is interesting to think that there were these mandates passed down from the government. And we had, like, we had uh, accounts where people are saying, if you didn't go with it, you basically, you lost your tongue. Or yeah. you lost you lost a limb, or you yeah. lost some fingers, or you were just, you know, you were silenced. But use of violence was condoned, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. So could you just imagine that? Like, anyways. It still happens today, though. Obviously, people are always, have always been persecuted for their beliefs and, yeah. and always trying to escape and find refuge. And so that's what these guys were trying to do in the 16th century. Yeah, well, and and, and, and like I said, they're kind of still trying to do it today, even though they have, okay. like, the freedom. Like, they have the freedom, but they're, they're still... They're not as repressed. Yeah. They're not as repressed, but they still struggle to operate the same way they did, you know, 500 years ago, right? 400 years ago. Kind of reminds me of, like, maybe, like, a, a Russian version of, like, the Amish It's society, very much like right? that. Yeah. Very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, you know... I wonder what their views are on technology, right? And if they do use it or not. No, they definitely use it, but I'm, they're not, you know, they're not busting out their new iPhone to do <laughs> stuff. But I mean, they obviously would be like not, I'm sure they would use like a lighter or something, say, for example, where like maybe Amish wouldn't, I don't mm. actually know, but you know what I mean? Like mm. it's not quite like that, but it's more, it's more of just trying to stay isolated so that they can retain their Almost beliefs. like their purity. Yeah, and, exactly. And not have contamination from out. Oh, I'm going all sorts of places with this. No, no, that's very much what it is, <laughs> though, right? It's like purist, no, yeah, very yeah, purist. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to keep the traditions rolling, and to do so, you have to stay that's, away from that's other very stuff. interesting. I again, I would just love to be a fly on the wall. Let's I go. Know, let's right? go. Let's just become anthropologists and go and just study these people. <laughs> we tend to do that already with the podcast. We did the people no fire. I would love to. Let's do Let's go a, to North Sentinel Island. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Bring a Nerf gun. <laughs> See how long we last? Uh, oh, about six seconds six till second. that arrow goes yeah. right into our freaking <laughs> head. Or... I'll stick with South Sentinel. There's nobody on that island. It's, yeah, it's that's safer. quite lovely. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where was I? <laughs> <laughs> we're totally lost. <laughs> okay, so um, we're, no, we're talking about the the, the chronicle. The chronicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they came out with this, this, um, yeah, this written text, and they actually didn't say in it in this Kitesh chronicle that it disappeared. It basically just loosely said that it it went away after it was destroyed, but it was very vague. Mm-hmm very vague. There was no outright so, legend saying it was swallowed by the water. That's almost all oral tradition. Okay. So it's one of those things where it's tough. It's like oral traditions are so important and so fascinating. And like we've, we've, yeah. we've talked about so they many different stories, so yeah. much. but obviously it's so susceptible to just like over the decades and years, it's just, it becomes something else. Exactly. And you have to wonder the people that are sort of continuing on with this legend, what are their motives, right? Um, obviously, these people that were swallowed up by in, in the waves and into the lake, they were very holy. They were very pure. And so they were ultimately saved. So what what does this kind of narrative sound like to you, right? right? Like it's like it's a very convenient way to sort of be like, oh, if you if you believe, if you practice, if you do this you will be saved too, just like the people when they were in their time of need that's back one way in of, the 13th century. Yeah, that's one way of looking so at it. So if you think about it, it's a great moral fable, so to right. speak. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, yeah, not something that... Well, the only... Yeah, I mean, totally. That makes that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that's interesting, though, is that it isn't just the old believers and Orthodox, other branches of the Orthodox Ooh. Church. There are There's pagan, still people that practice paganism that will journey to really? Svetlar Lake and practice stuff there. Yeah. It's just because they believe that the water itself is special. Oh, the the, the location itself is special. It's Water has such a holy yeah, function, right? Yeah. yeah. So, Purifying so, and all that. Exactly. Yeah. So for the old believers, it was one thing, and for other groups, it's another. But the story of Katesh is, is obviously entrenched in Orthodox Christianity. What about but, the Mongol side of it? Like, do they have any record of their... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just all lost to time. Of eh? course, yeah, pretty much. Dang it. Which is so sad. We need, to, we need to be friends with someone that's, like, the preeminent scholar on Mongol history. Yeah. If, if anyone listening knows that person, <laughs> send them or our way. if you are way, that person, that yeah. That would be so way. Absolutely. Yeah, if you are that person. <laughs> Even better. But, yeah, no, so basically, yeah, so there's no record of it being swallowed up underwater by Mongols. It's just kind of this loose... Yeah. mythology that's been passed down yeah and yeah it's, it, it's all kind of up in the air as yeah. to whether or not obviously there was some some ancient artifacts found in recent years yeah but yeah nothing really okay so i think what we should do is get into some hard facts about this lake okay because we've already described it it's perfectly spherical it looks like if you google it kitesh like it's k-i-t-e-z-h so, and it's on uh, Lake Svetloyar, so that is S-V-E-T-L-O-Y-A-R. Yep. Oh, I got nice. that right. You weren't even looking at it. I we can't know. prove it for anybody listening, but she just wasn't looking at I the computer. I was not looking. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> that's, that's a... That's, that's really a, impressive. That's, I'm good. Slap myself there you go. Like, okay. There you go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically, okay, stats on this lake. How many meters deep is this lake, Andrew? Wow. Yeah, that that's the thing about this story. It's not that profound in terms of the size of the lake. So I, I think <laughs> it's just because, I think it's only thirty yeah, it's only thirty-three point four meters deep. Not very deep. And it's only the max um, length is 
half a kilometer. Max max width is oh, honestly thought these would be closer together. Max width is it's more of an oval shape. Yeah, it's a little bit more of an oval shape. Than but a it sphere. looks so. It looks almost perfectly circular. It does. Though, yeah. Yeah. From but the photos. clearly, it's obviously a little bit more of an oval shape. But still. Yeah, but it's uh, it, that's one of the things that a lot of people will look at and be like, not buy into this in terms no. of well, if you believe any of this at all or whatever. But like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if you buy into this, <laughs> like stuff. that it's just so shallow. It doesn't make sense. The stories on Lake Baikal with the USOs and the divers and stuff like that. Like, there's things mm. going on down there. It's the deepest lake in the world. Makes yeah, sense. Very um, true. So I get that. I can kind of get that. Because on Baikal, we were only kind of loosely dabbling in the world of interdimensionality and things like that. Mm-hmm. That comes to play way more mm-hmm. with this. You know, but I, I honestly don't think that that's, that's not a make or break factor for me. No, I don't because think so. When we get into the more theoretical elements of our conversation in the second half of this episode, it just. It, the the name itself, the invisible city. Yeah. Is it right in front of us and we can't see it? Hmm. Very, yeah. Hmm. Anyways. Well, that's come, that's come <laughs> up before too. Like when we were listening to the Astonishing Legends uh, episode on episodes, the series on the Yeti. Oh. I can't remember the name of the city, but there was some city in Nepal that only those who were who of, knew the of, way, or, who knew the way, yeah. or were of the right state of mind, oh. could actually see it. So we see that, but we, we come, we come across that a lot with, uh, legendary places, obviously. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very curious. You know, we've got some more stuff to get into on this lake, but before we Ooh, do, yep. I think we should probably take a, a small break for a promo, podcast promo yeah. from our friends, uh, over at the Shaken Not Nerd podcast. Oh my gosh. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the best. <laughs> promos i've listened to in it's a while. pretty hilarious and you're, you're it's a bit jarring there might be some coarse language so if you have sensitive ears whatever but it's, it's a great show they're great guys they're from australia love to have fun they're a bunch of nerds it's hilarious so if you're into that kind of stuff it's the, awesome the world show. of nerds i'd check them out absolutely and here it is oh hi i didn't see you there well nerds geeks and newcomers alike we're the shaken not nerd podcast where each week we review movies and video games and discuss what's going on in the nerd world. With me, as always, is my co-host, Ian the Huge Footlong Johnson. Hey, babes. The Tom. Hello there. And Ollie, also known as Big Red. Hi. And I'm your host, Doody Dootrum. And this is us. About five minutes beforehand, I was talking to my friends, being like, they make me say I love Harvey Norman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'm not, do, I'm not doing it. The second they said that, I'm like, I love Harvey Norman! Yes! Fresh it! Pink just released a new album, which apparently is really Thank good. God. Title purple. Pink right. No. <laughs> Two in the. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find us, guys? Why are you looking at me this time? <laughs> well, I do believe you can find us on any relevant social media outlets. Or the podcast app of choice. Mm. Oh, there are a lot of good ones. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Shaking Not Nerd. And we're back. <laughs> so make sure to uh, head on over to podfixnetwork.com and mm-hmm. you can find Shake and Not Nerd and we are on there as well. Yeah, Podfix fam. a bunch of uh, other amazing shows. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we left off talking about the lake. <laughs> right? I think. <laughs> oh, that's what this episode's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
just freaking team me up for failure, I feel like. Oh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, did you have anything specific that you wanted to mention? Because there's, there's a few other points here for sure. Definitely, yeah. I This lake is just so interesting to me because of what's been found there, because of what hasn't been found there as far as, like, there being remnants of this mythical city with a big-ass cathedral or anything. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it's, but there it has been remnants found of past civilizations that yes. have formed there. Yeah. And it's even debated whether... We didn't even get into the formation of the lake itself, Do you want to talk right? about that because, right now? Maybe we should. Yeah, because okay. that is... It is a bit murky. There's yeah. There's various ideas. One is the idea that it was perhaps... Uh, a glaciated uh, valley and and maybe a depression caused by a glacial melt. Maybe. Maybe. The others that this one's a little more interesting, that it yeah. is a crater left from an ancient meteorite strike. Yeah. And it basically cool. left that hole. The only thing that about that that sort of maybe doesn't match up is that this lake is so clear and so clean and so warm that it is unlike any other... Warm, eh? Yeah, apparently. It is unlike uh-huh. any other body of water beyond the Volga River in that forest. Well, that actually does make sense to me, because if a meteor striked at that particular location, maybe it it actually opened up a natural spring or some sort oh, okay. of source that, That's what of I was going to say, because underneath. obviously there's water coming from somewhere to keep this thing yeah. full. Well, a huge collision like that, that could potentially... I wonder... Like groundwater from the Volga River or something like that. Because that's one of the interesting things about it. Why people think it's so mythical and special is because this water is so pure and so sweet, but it's like nobody knows exactly where it's coming from. Um, They've gone down and they've they've trolled the lake um, looking for the remnants of ancient civilization and and looking for, you know, other just things of interest. And it's still just unclear. It's unclear how it was created, which I find very interesting. Yeah, you think they would be able to determine something. But again, this I is mean, Russia we're talking about. I don't know. They've got a lot of lakes over there, man. Yeah, maybe they haven't gone to that one yet in terms of like official. They've they've it's, labeled it as a uh, it's a, like a protected natural monument. Yeah. You know what's funny though? When you do look if you happen to Google search this lake at all and you come up with the photos and it it kind of just looks like a glamorized pond. <laughs> like it's, no, it does. It's very it, it definitely looks man-made. Yeah. And it just looks like a very it it just reminds me of something you find in a bird sanctuary, right? Yeah. Like it's I kind don't of know. it's it's out of place but like not because it's so beautiful and it looks Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's very unique. And so what's been found there is even more unique. So mm-hmm. some people tie this to Katesh. Some people say it's the dates aren't exactly, they don't necessarily match up to the 13th century. But researchers have found the f- one of the first expeditions was in 2011. They found shards of pottery that dated to the correct time period. Hmm. They found iron knives, pieces of a harness, um, you know, just like other random stuff. They also found something that you mentioned. Actually, no, did you mention this? Or maybe it was just when we were chatting before mentioned they found log cabins oh the log cabins yeah which is like kind of crazy that's weird man like how old are these log cabins? yeah so those were about a half meter to a meter below the surface of the lake okay they i couldn't find any direct information on the dates like if it was Mm. carbon dated or like if it was from the 13th century they it was just very unclear the researchers seem to be suggesting that it was a little bit more recent probably more like 17th century something like that Okay, so, so not, several not the right hundred years later, you know, 
but it's still kind of, I don't know, like it's still kind of evidence to me in the sense that obviously there were many settled, there were people that wanted to be at this location. Maybe the reason they were there after the 13th century was because of the legend, because of the story, mm. because they knew that this was a holy place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are just naturally attracted to it, right? you know, like. Because people do say that they'll go there and it'll cure ailments, right? Like people will say like, I have cancer and I swam in the lake and it cured me. Wow. Or I, you know, or the opposite. Oh, of that. that was my favorite anecdote about. Yeah, why guy. don't you tell that? <laughs> well, you were the one that told me. Why okay, you tell well, <laughs> yeah, the opposite of that would be the people that still live in the area and that make these pilgrimages to the lake and you know wet their face and all this kind of stuff. They'll say that those who disrespect the the lake and those who disrespect the area around it will meet the consequences, basically. Like they'll be so, cursed or something. Yeah, like yeah. essentially. So the story, there's been many stories and the one that this uh, Russian woman was talking about in the uh, Bells from the Deep movie, Werner, Werner Herzog, hmm. basically said that this guy chopped a tree down right by the shore. Mm, and that's a no-no. he almost instantaneously stopped breathing and they got him back to his house nearby and he con- convulsed and died. Wow. For inexplicably. Jeez. And supposedly that's happened to many people. I don't know if it's just for chopping down trees, but I don't know. Can you go fishing on this lake? Maybe you wouldn't want to. I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. Right? I honestly think you probably can't because it's like a protected reserve or whatever. Yeah. Let's get into that then, that Werner Herzog thing. That was so funny because that was kind of the kickoff for me for research on this episode. And when we sat down to watch it, I was just. I felt like I was so severely dislocated from any other film experience I've ever had yeah, in that's, my life. Yeah, that's a Werner Herzog film. Yeah, right it was yeah. very, very fascinating, to mm-hmm. say the least. And this woman in particular, she was kind of the main focus. It was her, and then there was a couple other figures that we saw quite regularly. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they had names, though. They Good question. Have... Well, it's called, so just, it's called Bells from the Deep. Yes, Bells from the, the Deep. The first half of the movie is all kind of like, about religion and like the Orthodox church. And then at about 34 minutes in to the sec to the rest of the film mm-hmm. is all about Katesh. And yeah, it was, yeah, like you said, it was all kind of follow this one lady. Yeah. She was adorable. <laughs> I loved her, but she was just the typical, just crusty hearted <laughs> Russian lady. Like out back okay, lady, like living in the woods. About how she was living with a pig <laughs> And this must have been in her youth, because I don't know how she would have done it at her current stake. She was quite elderly. But mind you, she was making pilgrimages to the lake at this time, too, and yeah. crawling around on all fours on the icy surface. So anyways, I think she's quite capable. Yeah. But she was saying that the one anecdote about how the pig, the pig just went crazy one day. It went crazy. The pig went totally berserk. Totally berserk. <laughs> and chased her. What did it do? It, like, knocked over her dog or her, some other animal was in the vicinity, and it basically just, like, bowled them over, bowled her over. She yeah. managed to get up and ran to the, the house, and then the, she slammed the door and, and, and fell on the ground, and the pig, the pig, it was, it was hammering at the door, wanted to get in. And then she says how she, she basically, she shooed it into its pen. How do you shoo a rabbit? pig into its pen i don't know she shooed it in and then what did, what did she do well she that was her in. story because the pig like bit her on the leg and then she went to oh, the lake right that was the whole i was trying to i was like why the hell is she telling that yeah story? like the pig like so bit her or something and because it like went nuts and yeah right. and then she it went her, and she healed, fell over. healed her leg in the lake i think it was or something yeah. like that but it was totally bizarre because the rest like after that it, mm-hmm. he yeah, like he interviews some people. Well, sort of. I mean, I don't know if you'd call it that, but it's kind of this Loose. strange filming style. Oh, so uh, weird. But it basically, I mean, it, it is 
it's like a docudrama. It's yeah. a documentary, but it's dramatized, obviously. Yeah. They show people who are still to this day do this, like you mentioned, on the ice. It's in the winter. They're crawling out on the ice and looking through, like wiping away with their hand through the snow. Yeah. And they're on, on their stomachs. Uh, cracking ice. Right? Because it's such a warm the, lake. Yeah, you can you, hear it cracking. Exactly. So mm-hmm. they know you can't walk because you'll fall right through. So they spread out their weight and they're sort of worming their way along like these elderly <laughs> Orthodox Russian people. They're using people. their like their elbows yeah. and kind of, and, and they're just looking straight and like putting into their the yeah, ice. like so like for for listeners, I'm trying to make this <laughs> visual. Yeah, like putting their hands to the sides of their head, like looking through binoculars and trying to see through into, the ice. Yeah, and basically they claim that they can sometimes see, you know, their people, like see the they see inhabitants of K- Katesh. Yeah, Beneath angelic the beings, lights, yeah. the, the, the the chorus of hymns. There was uh, one instance, the same lady was telling us that she was basically on this the, this type of um, trip. Or I don't even know what you call it. Well, uh, it's a activity. Yeah. It's an activity. And, <laughs> it's an interesting activity. A very interesting, interesting hobby. <laughs> what do you do on the weekends? What do you do in your free time? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm just going to trek it up yeah. to... Like <laughs> and I just kind of crawl around on my legs and my. You guys got to go check it out. It's on YouTube. It's, so it's on. Funny. We've um. We'll it's add not it to our funny, channel. but it's just it's it's pure fascination for me. Yeah. So I'm just like whoa, like yeah. this is just extreme. And so she was had this one account where she was on the ice crawling for hours and hours and hours, and she she was getting to a point where she was almost delirious or something. She was kind of just whatever, and not to discredit her at all for saying that, because in a sense maybe she was getting closer to what spiritual place she was trying to get to mm-hmm. and then she happened to look up she said and she saw a group of angelic beings and she she went to them she went after them right. like walked towards them yeah and they were in deep prayer and what they would do is they were in this group and they would um they kind of were like moving and then they would stop uh, along the way there's just through the woods now so she wasn't on the lake anymore right and uh and she would just she would every time they would stop to pray she would stop too and pray and then, and then they would move along and she would continue praying until she was done. And then she would move to the next spot where they were and pray with them too. So it was a very highly religious experience that yeah. she had. Yeah. And I'm not sure if she came to any sort of, um, like, I don't even know, like not a nirvana, but like, um, some sort of, like uh, a religious epiphany oh, of some kind yeah, or whatever. Some sort yeah. of thing going on there. I don't know. But she, she it was a very, that's a strange, it was a very significant experience for her to yeah. say the least. And she definitely believes in the spiritual aspects and yeah, it's just, it's, it, for me, it bleeds into the paranormal because yeah. you get a lot of accounts where even with things like sleep paralysis or like, um, uh, what's it called? Like the, the shadow people. Yeah. Some people describe those not as ghosts. Well, some people describe them as ghosts. Some people describe them as angels. You get this whole kaleidoscope of different interpretations. So my question is, is this a religious interpretation of paranormal phenomena? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Are we getting into our theories and discussion here? Then we, well, we can we can we can kind of jump back to we some can other kind stuff. of trickle into it. I think we should. But I think there we, was yeah, like there's so much going on with this episode too. It's it's almost hard to structure it properly and mm-hmm. for yeah. Like, did you have anything else you want to cover before we dive into theories? Or? Well, I think I think I have a few points I'll come back to yeah. when we when we're talking about some theories. So we can just get into it, and we can start with that with the idea that. Yeah, is this a, yeah, a religious interpretation of, yeah, paranormal, something paranormal? 
but at the same time, it's like it's the story goes is sort of like they manifested it. Yeah. So like something I would want to know, but we'll never be able to find out is if the lake or if the region was had any other kind of like significance or energy or paranormal before mm. Kitesh, which of course we'll never know. Um, yeah. Whereas like with Baikal, we kind of know because the indigenous peoples that live there, they have oral traditions and stories that date back even further. Where are these? Where are these people here? There's no Evenki, is there? Like, there's the, no... no. The Evenki are way further east. Just for quick reference, Evenki is just an indigenous group. Yeah, so of the Evenki Russia. are like reindeer herders, um, and they're 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 further east in Siberia, so- southeastern they're, Siberia, they're as far always, as I know. They're always cited when we're talking about things like uh, the Dyatlov Pass incident. Yeah, those they're in that. Evenki and like the Mansi. Oh, the Mansi too. I believe yeah. is another one. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different indigenous peoples around in this area of Svetloyar, too, but I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything it's probably significant. probably all in, in crazy Russian dialects probably. and something like that. Yeah. Again, if anyone out there is If anyone Russian, speaks Russian, yeah, or if you speak <laughs> Russian or if you have any information on any of this or other stuff, too, because we love yeah. Russian stories, so, like, we'll definitely oh, want to yes. do more, so. And when we were studying this, I actually got slightly confused for a nanosecond because I thought... This was the same city that we discussed really briefly in the Lake Baikal episode. And what a, what a number was that? I don't even know. Oh, man. That was like four or five episodes ago now. Maybe more. It was quite a while ago. But yeah. we were discussing this one um, story that was discussing this king or prince. I don't know if he's a king or prince, but he was a ruler. And he had his own little kingdom on the shores of Lake Issacol. And the story goes that this king was, had, unfortunately, he had a little bit of an issue. He had asinine ears, like, literally, like, donkey ears. And so he, every time he got his hair cut, he would murder his barber in order to keep his secret because he was so ashamed of it. (laughs) And one day, he decided, I'm not going to kill this barber. I'm going to let him go and hope he keeps his word. And the barber did, except he whispered the secret into a well and the well sprung up with this flow of water. It was like a spring, and it actually swallowed up the entire city, and now it's rumored that this city is at the bottom of Lake Issacol. Wow. Or near the bottom along one of the shores. And that, again, Lake Issacol is just a treasure trove of all sorts of stories like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Literally, yeah, there's like there's millions of dollars of gold supposedly buried there from a train wreck in, during the Russian Revolution. So that's just was one that Baikal or that's Baikal? No, that's Isakol. Oh, okay, crazy. Because yeah. there's yeah. gold in Baikal too. Oh. Yeah. Oh maybe I have that confused. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure the train story, right? The big train story I'm, and then there was the there now. was the reds and they were That's Baikal. Oh, yeah. okay, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. No, but there is close. gold stories in Issacol, too. There's mm-hmm. definitely sunken treasures in that lake, 100%. There's all sorts of weird stuff And going that on was there. where the skeletons were from that Baikal episode, right? And yeah. From the, from the Georgian boys, right? Holy that went diving moly. down. Okay, Unknown Siberia, Secrets of the Depth. Sorry, I'm just looking at our blog right now just for quick <laughs> reference. But that was episode nine. Wow. And we're on episode... 16? <laughs> we're on episode 16? I think... 17, Holy 18. moly, time flies. I think it's 18. No. Is it? Yeah, because... <laughs> no, that makes sense. And now we're just going on a random yeah. topic. <laughs> no, this, is, this is the behind the scenes of Into the Portal There you right go. Now. Yeah, oh, there you go. Extra footage, guys. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's let's move through these uh, discussion things here then. So, yeah. what's your... Okay, are we kind of moved on from the first one? I mean, what's your... 
Well, the idea that... What, like, the, the thing that I threw out there with... Yeah, just, like, with... I mean, I guess... The idea that it's a religious interpretation of paranormal phenomena. Because, we, yeah. it, like we discussed, you get the USOs. Yeah. Like, unidentified submergibles that are these lights supposedly yeah. emanating from the depths. Right. We get things like angelic beings that could be interpreted in, in different ways. Some people even... You know, it's weird. Like, back in the day... Back in the day, I'm talking biblical here, like, because, like, I've often thought about this myself, where the accounts describing angels in biblical times and things like that, um, those could be seen as entities from another dimension. Those could be seen as alien. Yeah. Like, it's just your lens of interpretation, right? And so, when some people have, like, even glowing orbs have been interpreted as angelic beings and sometimes in some accounts they actually um, communicate with the individuals either telepathically or whatever and there is it's 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 just really interesting i feel like a lot of our interpretations in modern day of these types of phenomena come from our secular background and that we don't have we don't necessarily see something that's floating and slightly humanoid or whatever and yeah, think there's that's one, an angel. there's one lens. Yeah. Right? We think there's that's, one lens that's an alien. Then. That's the Flatwoods monster. That's right. the, you know, like, whatever. Like, yeah. you know? So it all comes down to the context yeah. and what you believe. Right. And that kind of gets into another sort of um, idea you had that was like, does belief manifest reality? Yeah. I mean, I've talked, I've brought this up. Not, not necessarily on the show that much, but yeah, in conversations with you before. And I, I genuinely believe that it can, mm. um, just on a, I, I don't think this is proof, but like, if you think about even ourselves and like the, the power of the mind, like what we can convince ourselves mm-hmm. of yeah. and how that will physically affect us. And those it are affects our reality. Yeah. And it, our perception it, it, of exactly. It. You know, those are, that's all biological and that's something that can be kind of, you know, you know, narrowed down to on paper. Like this is why this happens, but it still is, it's still really fascinating to me. I genuinely believe that it can, like if these people, even if it's, even if their belief in Orthodox Christianity is false or, Mm. or whatever, right. They, they, they're misinterpreting or they're misappropriating, whatever. It's the energy of it. If they're all there and they, they're, they're praying and they're kneeled down and they believe enough it's not necessarily if what they're believing in is real. It's just that they're all focused on totally. it. Right? Totally. And you even get into the type of thing with, um, I've, I've been reading into, uh, like telekinesis, uh, ability to move objects with your mind. And there was this one account from a fate article that was discussing this one dude. He like, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he held conferences for this like every year. And this was back in, like, the 90s. He said he had a breakthrough with this group that was able... None of them had ever done it before. And they were basically kind of... um, They had an object placed in a hermetically sealed case. And the... I think the goal was just to shift it. Just to move it slightly. And I can't remember what the percentage was, but an astonishing majority of people were actually able to do this. And it was like, it was just bizarre. It Crazy. Was like, and he he was just ecstatic about it. He was like, this proves the power of the mind. And so if you think about it, yeah, the mind manifests your reality and it defines our limits of perception. So biology, belief, they yeah. all, they work together. Yeah. And, and there's obviously elements to it that we just don't know. Totally. And so 
the powers of religion. We can like, tap, yeah. And even there was that quote from Father Nikolai, and he is part of the the old believers. And yeah. he, he, this is a quote from him, he says, if we stop believing and stop going to church and observing the orthodox way of life, we would cease to exist. That's, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Like, d- and he, yeah. So, so just to, so just to reiterate. So, like the Father Nikolai. So, this is from the group of uh, the old believer Orthodox sect that's in uh, Alaska right now, oh. like currently. Oh. Uh, so this is a modern quote. This is like from the two thousands. I didn't realize. I thought he was in Russia. No. Yeah, this is one of the ones. No, because they, like, because the they felt, yeah, so there are still old believers there, but like many have felt persecuted. There's old believers in South America. There's, right. there's, they're all over. They're all over. They've made pilgrimages around the world trying to find their place to settle down. And I suppose Alaska makes the most sense. It's sort of the most similar geographic. Yeah. Whatever, you know. Like climate and all that. Climate and everything. Yeah, it's very, um, lots of space up there in Alaska. Yeah, absolutely. Go but see, that's uh, what's her face, the Alaskan governor. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. <laughs> um, but uh, does he literally believe that, though? Like, is that a literal interpretation? I kind of think so. It I, sort of reads that way. I feel like it does, too. You know? Um, it's not like he's saying our purpose to exist would cease to be. He's saying we would cease to exist. Yeah. That's very powerful language. Yeah, because it's not just him. It's the entire it's, group. It's the practice. It's the methodology. It's yeah. the it's the everyday. And you hear that in all sorts of like you know like people join a cult, and that defines their life. And if yeah. they aren't in that, they're basically just like a shell of a person. Yeah. And that goes without saying for a lot of stuff. Like even huh, if we were to up and stop the podcast today, I would probably cease to exist in a lot of ways, right? That's an interesting. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. You would, I guess. That makes yeah, sense. A big part of me would disappear. And that's you, true. Very yeah. true. epiphanies Epiphanies here (laughs) so the question is though is like how does that how does this translate into like something metaphysical that's also like tangible you know what i mean because obviously the mongols as the legend goes saw this city disappear Mm -hmm. so if they even so if it's if they could manifest a reality through energy through their praying either a that means they're right and Russian Orthodox Christianity is what everybody should be doing. <laughs> or, <laughs> or like we said early on, it's just they crossed over. They were in the right place at the right time and, and emitted yeah. the, enough energy, uh, enough of the right energy in the right place to, to save themselves. themselves. Yeah, transport themselves. But this is where we kind of get into that whole interdimensionality aspect because when I hear the invisible city... I almost feel as though it's, it, it, in my mind, it points to something that is really existing right in front of me and I can't see it. Right. And it's because I am not a true believer. And if I was to go to this lake, Lake Svetfolayar, yeah. I wouldn't see it. And when you look at the photos, again, just going back to the whole, the perfectly circular nature, not perfectly circular, Nearly very, very circular nature and how it almost appears to be like a man-made pond. Yeah. In my mind, I was almost thinking like, ooh, what if this is really just like a massive moat that sort of like, it's just like, it's it's like a spherical sort of like um, force field around that and, that, is- and that the city just like is encompassed within it and you can't see it until you've sort of achieved that sort of I, I want to call it chi or something. You know what I mean? You, <laughs> you've, you've got to that point right. where you are enlightened enough to be um, 
to be that exception yeah. and to actually enter the fold right. of this place. Interesting. Ooh, I love it. I yeah. love it so much. <laughs> you know, I think that's cool too, the idea of like an, an ancient moat because it's not clear how the lake was made. Well, that's, yeah, um, there you go. Maybe the, the, maybe it actually was a fortress. Well, like we talked about in the in the Baikal episode, there's been skeletons discovered, uh, Denisovan skeletons discovered in Russian caves that were uh, found with artifacts that weren't of the same era that right. weren't placed there because it was sealed off and hadn't been discovered. <gasps> so it kind of loosely proved that more ancient peoples were more capable of higher technologies. Mm-hmm. And we know that, I think it was the Scythians, Scythians, yeah. Yeah. that was like 8,000 BC or something, and they were migrating right. north. Could there have been some sort of an empire I mean, not an empire, but could there have been some sort of a, a civilization. civilization and establishment there mm-hmm. well before the Kievan Rus, which would have started in like 882 mm-hmm. AD, was like one of the first princes of the Kievan Rus, Prince Oleg, in mm-hmm. uh, in the same region in uh, Novogrod. Mm-hmm. But that's 882 AD. What about 8000 BC, right? That's a lot yeah. of time. It is a ton of time. <laughs> and I actually really like that idea. It's almost like the 13th century could have been a recycling of a previously used sacred, sacred site. spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and cause there is no, when you get into the origin story of this, right, you just, you get the Prince Georgie going and finding this sort of very pristine, very holy spot, mm-hmm. so to speak. And you don't, you don't hear anything about him actually constructing the city at all. Obviously, that did happen, but you don't yeah. hear about him constructing a lake. The lake was already there. Yeah, it was already yeah. there. It was already so. In that sense, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's all it's all up for debate, people. No, it totally. <laughs> we want to know what you think is the, the most <laughs> interesting or perhaps the most accurate. Yeah, because it could go either way. I I love this story. It's just for me, it's half fairy tale and half history. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Which is the reason why it's been dubbed the, the Russian Atlantis. Yeah. Right. That's a really good way to put it. It's, it's the, uh, people have found ruins that could be linked to supposedly I'm air quoting Atlantis. Yeah. Nothing's definitive. There were actually, we kind of didn't uh, finish giving the details on some of the findings. So there wasn't that much more, but basically, yeah, they found the log cabins and also outlines of buildings further down. Um, but the problem was, is that it was so much smaller than what a city could have been considered. Okay. It was just, it was just like a smaller settlement. Like, yeah. And I think we mentioned it earlier, but like the area was, is supposedly really susceptible to landslides. Oh, right. And that's one of the main theories as to what may have happened. If there was indeed a Kitesh city there, that it could have been crushed by a landslide and as simple as that. But hey, if that's second, the case though. though, if that's the case, there's going to be way more artifacts. I'm I'm not buying this landslide. No, I'm not. I'm buying looking it at either. these photos. This is a freaking really flat area of land, people. There is not a single hill in sight. Oh, that's a beautiful shot. Well, that Someone's doesn't make any it. sense then. Look at it. <laughs> Look at it, because <laughs> they can see. Well, it but might seriously. be from over there, there. There might be. Really though. Well, I don't know. It seems really. Oh, look at that! You can see the depth there. That's cool. I'm gonna bookmark that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Google. Honestly, that doesn't seem very likely for a few different reasons. Obviously, we've only seen Google pictures and stuff. It's tough to tell yes. unless you're there. I feel like but, it's a stretch, but you know what? I'm just going to say 
it's possible. Sure. It's, who knows? Well, that's just like if the people tip- are suggesting it. If researchers it's, have been there and been like, this is from a landslide. Well, and it's just the, but at the same time though, that's the classic non-paranormal like maybe potentially reaching, right? Like that's, that's like the owl yeah. Theory. I was just gonna say that's like the Jonah Claw. Oh yeah, it was an owl nine feet up on a branch. It's like, yeah. well, is that even is that more likely than the paranormal side? Like not to me. No. Like in in certain circumstances, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying that though. I, obviously, when you're looking at land from an aerial perspective, though, it does look a lot flatter than when you're actually there. Yeah. So I'll just give those guys the benefit of the doubt, I guess. Right. Even though from my angle, it's not looking very hilly. Yeah. But the other the other thing that this made me think of too, like when we were getting to the when we were uh, researching for the theories and stuff in the Baikal episode, I can't remember the name of it. I should have pulled it up. Um, we referenced one of the Russian folklore creatures and it was basically like a, the Russian mermaid. Oh shoot. I can't remember. Um, either. And, uh, I thought I put it in here. Stupid. <laughs> um, but we go back and listen to the Baikal. <laughs> what, what, what was the title of that one? Anyway, <laughs> Siberia. It, it was called the secrets of the depths. Secrets of the depths. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, there's a, basically a Russian mermaid in Russian folklore that is kind of benevolent and sort of reminds me of like people seeing these things beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. I wonder if potentially that has something to do with it too. Like if, you know, you're, you're praying because you're Russian Orthodox, but maybe something else answered your call. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's not just because of energy and manifesting your safety because you transfer to another dimension or whatever, (laughs) but there's reports of creatures being seen and that ties into the Baikal nine foot humanoid swimmers too Interesting. Like, whether or not they're literally down there in a yeah. in a house at the bottom or if they're also interdimensional and if that's the case and water is clearly has something to do with it right it's always in water out in Russia here yeah then oh, water. So perhaps scary. these people's prayers were answered by something other than their savior mm. that they thought Ooh, and that there spooky. might be more to this to some of the folklore what stories damned to the depths <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was harsh. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> we think they're saved and they're still praying down there, but no. but no, no, they're they're singing, they're trying, they're chiming the bells, trying to get people to notice them and come save them. <laughs> oh man, that's depressing. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> that would that's, be a terrible. That's like purgatory. Yeah, I prefer to think of it as just like an underwater sanctuary. Yeah. So, yeah. What what else do you have? Uh, what do you have? What else do you have to say on this? covered the main sort of gambit with the whole idea that yeah we've got this like really significant religious aspect that these people basically define themselves by yeah and then you get what we kind of come at all this weird stuff with which is the paranormal angle so that's kind of our lens of interpretation but not the only one obviously it's just an intersection between religion and interdimensional beliefs i believe yeah i I think so too (laughs) beliefs i believe (laughs) (laughs) I'm a very agnostic person myself, but yeah, I yeah, this is just such a fun story for me. I love it. I just, I know there's gonna be more, and I feel like I didn't exhaust by any means the the research for this. And if anyone else has anything that they want to uh, put their two cents in worth, like I would love to hear it. Yeah, no, absolutely. What about you? What what what, what is your conclusions on this? Yeah, because you did the main leg as far as the research goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of, 
it's different than the Baikal episode where we had more evidence, quote unquote, to draw on for yeah. being like, there's na- Russian naval reports and right there's different things. This is all oral tradition, but the part to me that stands out the most is the fact that the oral tradition extends w- so much further back than the initial old believers documentation of this mm-hmm. and that Kitesh was a mythical what not mythical that it was a real place and that it was a sacred place but nobody wrote it down uh, that's why? typical though that's I mean, so typical i guess like, if you don't have yeah. a i guess people couldn't read well that's it, just it like, yeah if you don't have predominantly illiterate um society we see that obviously in our own country right with the yeah. indigenous groups they did not have anything but an oral tradition right and right, then we right. came we were like we gotta civilize you and 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 you know get them into these residential schools and get them reading and writing all this stuff and <laughs> look where it's got them not yeah. very like obviously there yeah, are people doing a lot better than some but, but yeah. overwhelmingly yeah but the tradition the, yeah the oral traditions were lost a lot of the time. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's so unfortunate. Yeah. I was so happy when we talked to Corley over at the West Bank First Nations and we did our Okapogo episode just to see that it's coming back. And she told us, she's like, you know, people are relearning their Indigenous heritage, their Indigenous language. And maybe we might see mo- even more of that. I don't know how, how stunted it was in Russia, though, because I don't think they had anything quite as severe as what we had in Canada with the settler population sort of clashing with the indigenous population. It was kind of a little more entrenched over there already. Mm-hmm. I think in massive influxes of uh, pioneers and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, it's it's all very fascinating. I, I want to just go there and, and get some more first-hand accounts and, yeah. and do some... Wouldn't some, that be sweet to go and uh, have a translator and do some interviews or something like that? Oh, it reminds me when I was reading... Um, Oh, the book, not Jane, not McCloskey's book. It was the other account from the Baikal incident. It's right on the shelf there behind you, Andrew. Not The Mountain of the Dead by McCloskey, but Dead Mountain by, oh, what's his name there? Thank you, Donnie Eicher. Ah. It just reminded me of his, because he was just an American that sort of stumbled across the story just like we stumbled across this story and he went there i think it was either two times or three times i can't remember but he it was just fascinating for him right because it was just so so foreign and he had to rely on interpreters he had to rely on people from the dialogue foundation and he was lucky enough to actually get that information and, and have their help but yeah it would be really fun if we could do something very similar and even write our own little book perhaps that would be so cool because there aren't there isn't really much out there on this story and it's it's really it's really one of the cooler ones that we've come across Uh, yeah you know if i had to have like one more thing to say i guess it would be that i find it if if we were to try to kind of work any of this into quote-unquote evidence it would be that there are obviously establishments that were found under the water pottery that dated back to the 13th century the establishments themselves didn't match up with the dimensions of a city Uh but the oral traditions do they talk about it and you have to wonder too if if this area is prone prone oh my gosh (laughs) prone to landslides what's covered up if it is prone to landslides yeah that makes yeah totally i honestly think that that's theories can't be true can't be like we're looking at i'm looking at the pictures it's just like it's a tree-lined lake if this place is prone to landslides there's going to be a section where there's no trees there's these trees are these trees are hundreds of years be, old 
There's going to be Scarp sort of, um, oh, what's it called? <laughs> You're looking at me like, what is she talking about? <laughs> uh, it's basically when you have, it's a technical term for when you have a very um, steep cliff. Yeah. And then you at the bottom you get these piles of debris, essentially, and rocks and whatever. And it's like, it's a escarpment kind of a thing. Oh, I, I totally butchered that. That's I okay. wish we had Dana around. Yeah, I need our geologist. <laughs> She's an actual geologist. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But you you think there would be evidence of that. Like, I took one geography course in university, and I feel like yeah, you, I, I can kind of... It doesn't look like a landslide. No, it doesn't. And then, obviously, there's just the fact that I mean, people can believe what they believe, and it's obviously, a lot of it's probably just just that. It's just their beliefs. But people, you know, year over year, report seeing the lights, report hearing the bells, report hearing singing. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like some of that's got to be. Somebody's hearing something. Unless it's just the conditions, because it is very harsh, and, like, these people, they subject themselves to... I don't know if they subject themselves to deprivation as like in food or like, you know, if they're fasting while they're doing this, if they're indulging, not in say like psychedelics or anything, but if they are sort of depriving themselves and sort of, well, not even drinking, but if they're just, if they're in such a severe religious fervor state, you know, like they they could possibly conjure up things from their mind. And that's exactly where we get into the whole like, yeah, like mind over matter or like does... Does the mind create the reality? But it's just a question of whether or not those things can be real. It's like with Buddhism, yeah. where when we were watching um, some of like crash course videos, like looking at Mongols and stuff, and there was the one on China and ancient China and ancient whatever Buddhism and how it went, to, made its way over to China and stuff. And it's just like the idea that like the, the the Buddha, the original Buddha, starved himself sitting under a tree for however long, mm-hmm. and then has this epiphany, and it's all just from not being in the same state of mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, that was so telling, that one sentence where he basically just said, life is suffering. Life is defined by suffering. Suffering comes about as a result of desire. If you have no desire, you have no suffering. Right. And these are the ways he had like a eightfold sort of methodology on how to lessen your desire slash eliminate yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of want that myself. No. <laughs> Maybe we should become right? Buddhist. <laughs> I know, right? But it's almost like that, but that, the reason I brought that up too is like, because it made me think of Kitesh because yeah, it's a, it's a city built under, you know, Orthodox Russian Christianity, but it was undefended. It was un, there was no negativity. There was no anything, right? It was just pure. It wasn't worried about anything else. It wasn't, it was avoiding temptation of the rest of you know, princes taking taxes and, you know, doing their thing over there. It was separate and peaceful, very mm. much like, kind of like the Buddhist mentality almost. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Very. So, yeah. That basically wraps it up. Basically wraps it up. Yeah. Is Katesh a real place? Was it a, re- was it a real city? Was it swallowed by the water? Could it have just been a- an older settlement that got ransacked by Mongols and, and just turned into a legend? Could it have been a landslide? Who knows? I personally think that the people of Katesh are still there and that the people are hearing them mm-hmm. because I believe in interdimensionality. I Ooh, always another have. Another interesting thing too is the fact that there have been no skeletal remains found. Indeed. I just had that light bulb go off my head. Right. But you know, obviously. That's either evidence or not. Yeah. You could argue either way. Yeah. But it's, uh, oh, the very plot cool. thickens. Yeah. So let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd really love to hear from you. Um, we are really, really, really hoping that 
our regular listeners will perhaps uh, submit their own iTunes review. We'd really love to hear from you. Yeah, that would be uh, great. It's kind of slowed down lately, but <laughs> we, it, it just it helps the show so much. Yeah. And we realize, too, like, there we've had uh, people that we know that have submitted reviews and they don't show up on iTunes Yeah, they don't reason. always show up sometimes. And it's silly. But. It's really dumb and I hate it, but we encourage you to do it anyway. And yeah. even, yeah, just throw out a five star if you, if you have a Por second. favor. Yeah, Por we favor. really, really appreciate it. It helps out the show, yeah, so, so much. Muchas gracias. And even if, like, you don't use iTunes or whatever, Facebook, you can leave a review for us on there. It all yeah. helps. And just tell a friend about the show. You know, oh. if you like the show and you think somebody else might like it, please tell them because we're really trying yeah. to grow and uh, we just want to we just want to bring as much weird stuff to the world as we can. Mm-hmm. So if you have a sec, please leave us a review. We really appreciate it, guys. You're the best fans ever. It's awesome. We love doing the show. Yeah, we really do. And what else? I mean, you can find us on, uh, well, yeah. Well, you know, our regular socials. We are, well, go on our website, intotheportal.com. Yeah, a new blog is up there for, not for this episode, but for Just our for Amelia Earhart, our last week episode. Yeah, go check that out. Um... And then, of course, we'll have all the resources updated for Monday morning. Yes, indeed. And as well, yeah. Uh, yeah, come chat the, with us on Facebook exactly. and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, we have a Facebook group going. It's growing steadily, which yes. we're really happy about. We've yeah, got it's a lot fun. Of, we've got a few more active members there, which is, <laughs> oh, it just makes my day every time I see that stuff. Mr. Castaneda. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Woo! Yeah, you're the best, man. Yeah. I love you. Um, but otherwise, yeah, uh, we also have a, a really active Twitter account, just Into the Portal one? one? Yeah. Into the Portal One. Yeah. And then I'm on there too as uh, Amber Ray 1992. Yeah. So come chat with us. Let yeah. us know any thoughts, anything. Yeah. You have any paranormal thoughts or episode ideas Instagram, or whatever. Instagram, we're always on there too, posting stuff. Absolutely. Like, into the Portal. What is it? Into the Portal I think Podcast. It's just into the Portal Podcast, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, thanks again so much for listening to this episode. And until next week. Yeah, until next week. Network. You can check out more shows like it at oddfixnetwork.com.